biggest thing I think in the medical industry is we tell people what not to do mm-hmm. or we give them very traumatic news, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to being empathetic and saying, hey, instead of not, instead of saying don't run anymore, it's bad for you. Yeah. You might want to say something like, hey, let's ease off on the running and let's find an alternative event mm-hmm. that we can probably hopefully get you back to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. It, it takes on a little bit of a different connotation, right? And they receive it a little different mm-hmm. because when you're very negative to somebody, that's what they, that's what they chew on, yeah. right? They're yeah. only going to take in 25% of what you, <laughs> what you, what you say. Uh-huh. And so that 25% could have just been, oh, don't run anymore. And how many times have you heard like, yes. oh, doc told me not to run anymore. Yeah. It's bad for my knees, <laughs> yeah. you know, but was there ever a, situ- a solution to that problem? Mm-hmm. You know, or was there ever any effort to try to get you back? Because if for me to tell a soldier not to run, mm-hmm. and then his leader tells him he has to run, yeah. or her, they have to run, yeah. like, that's out of my control. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to know where you're gonna send them. And I think communication's big because, again, it's almost like empathy and, sympath- and being sympathetic as well. It's understanding what to convey, when to convey it, right? Yep. When to crack a joke and when to be serious. Yes, exactly. You know, when to repeat something three or four times so they can pick up on it and they know it's an important fact. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone. This week on the HNL Movement Podcast, we have a very special colleague, awesome person, one of the best in the business athletic trainers there is on the island. And he's one of my, was one of my mentors too, coming out of school and everything. And I'd like to welcome Neil Santiago to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. No, yeah. thanks for stopping by. But yeah, let's, let's start by sharing a little bit of your background. You're in a very unique setting, but I'll let you share all of that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. what was it like? What led you to athletic training? What was it like growing up in Hawaii and everything? So I was, you know, I was actually born in California, a military kid, and um, I went to Radford mm-hmm. Military School, and um, I, I stumbled upon Mr. Garvin Suji. <laughs> I think everybody knows him, right? Yeah. So um, played football, did everything, played sports, and got hurt during fall camp. And uh, that was my first exposure to an athletic trainer. Mm-hmm. So my hat goes off to, to G, man. He's <laughs> like, he's been pivotal in my career. Um, but yeah, it's um, one of the big things I think for us was understanding that there was an athletic trainer in the school. And that's how I got started in this mm-hmm. business was as a high school student going through an injury, finding your ATC, which was kind of like a classic story. <laughs> yeah? It's like everyone figured it out. Like, oh, you know, you have an ATC, but you got hurt and that's how you, that's how you found them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started interning with Garv over the summer, went to college, came back, did some hands-on stuff and got really in, inundated in it. So mm-hmm. from there, it's, it's, you stumble across people that, that end up, you know, being mentors along the way, being friends and colleagues. And to, to this day, he's still a good friend. So um, went off to Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, it was his alma mater as <laughs> yeah. well. Like, who, who would have thought, right? Yeah. You, you end up following your, your mentor's steps. Uh-huh. Um, and did Oregon State, athletic training at Oregon State, mm-hmm. big at the time, Pac-10 school. So mm-hmm. got to see a lot of things, do a lot of things that you hear about, see about, dream about as a kid, travel charter, yeah. you know, be, be in places of, of high caliber athletes all mm-hmm. the time. And that was, that was a great experience, I think. 
Um, and then even working at the high school level, so being able mm-hmm. to see what Oregon had to offer as high school, mm-hmm. what they had as D1, D2. Yeah. Um, and even then, it was traveling at schools that didn't have you know, a big budget. So mm-hmm. traveling by bus, four or five hours. Yeah. You know, so that's that kind of helped um, shape what I think what we can appreciate yeah. you know, as far as traveling, what accommodations you have. Um, and then coming back home was was big. I didn't after school. I didn't really know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the two athletic trainer systems yet at the DOE. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of single single ATCs running around, and um, very big advocate for uh, two ATCs. Um, again, was our principal and our administrators, and so uh, fortunately, I was able to land a job at Radford um, after my grad my grad assistant. So my grad assistantship was first at UH. Mm-hmm. And Garve again came in clutch, and that's where I met um, Eric. And yes. Eric, Eric to this day, we, me and, and Nikki, we always joke around about that Eric is like a father figure to us, mm-hmm. you know? Like, as a GA, right out of school, you go in and do your GA ship, and you're sleeping at lunch <laughs> because we're there super early, mm-hmm. um, we're there super late, mm-hmm. we're doing sports cl- clinic at night, we're at classes in between that. Um, so again, thanks to Eric and, and the UH staff and all those guys, man, I think you, yep. you probably have for the same for the same <laughs> we're, thing. We're all in the same. That's the good thing about Hawaii or athletic training in general. I think yeah. the community is so close knit, yeah. and especially in Hawaii. I mean, our organization and you know everyone kind of yeah. knows each other, helps out each other, and it's just a great community that to be a part of. Yeah. When you were going through, so you know that classic story, you got injured and then started getting more involved or seeing more of the world of athletic training. Yeah. When you went to Oregon State, did you already know that you were going to go into athletic training? Or yeah, you did. As a matter of fact, I did, yeah. and I really wanted to just dive into exercise and sports science. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there were like five options. It was um, strength and conditioning specialists, mm-hmm. which was its own route. Mm-hmm. Um, and under exercise and sports science, mm-hmm. we had like the five options: so strength and conditioning, um, PE teacher. Yep. Um, I think it was like a health promotion educator, so like a health teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, or like a health wellness coach, uh, athletic training and allied health. It was like five options you can go into. Uh Um, And I immediately said, if I can't play the sport, I wanna be around it, you know? So undersized, not, I was athletic, but not that athletic. (laughs) You know, I wasn't D1 caliber. but I figured if you couldn't play the sport, I wanted to be around it because that's kind of what we grew up doing. I was like Mm -hmm. most of us sports since we were small. And so I knew I was going to athletic training and it was big because Mm -hmm. It was one of the few schools on the West Coast that actually had an accredited program at the time. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Cal State schools had it, mm-hmm. but few few of the of the Pac-10 schools at the time, mm-hmm. which is now the Pac-12, had it, and that was that was big for me because my family, a lot of my family, are Cal grads. Oh, um, I see. yeah. So it was good to be able to to talk smack to them. Yeah, <laughs> like hey, the big game's coming yeah. up. So. Um, and then I'd get it back in reverse when <laughs> yeah. Cal beat, beat us. But yeah. um, it was good because it, it, it was through the family legacy as well. Mm-hmm. West Coast, close to home. I was able to fly back during Christmas and breaks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, athletic training was, I had my my heart set. And luckily, I didn't change my major. So <laughs> I wasn't set back or anything. But yes. um, it was a lot of it was a lot of sacrifice in athletic training mm-hmm. as a college student. You know, it's just clinical hours, just yeah. like any other uh, allied health profession. It's mm-hmm. There's a lot of work you put in, but yeah. in the long run, man, it was worth it. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot of good times. There was a lot of good times, <laughs> yes. When you, when you were growing up, what was your primary sports or favorite sports too? Um, I started playing baseball. Okay. So baseball was big. And then as soon as, um, I never made the wait for Pee Wee's and, and, <laughs> and Pop Warner. So yeah. 
I didn't play uh, football until I was in high school, and that was and that was huge because um, that was the first time actually like collision. Yeah. You know, and that as a 14 year old going into high school, first time, you know, you're in the big stage, you're like all these upperclassmen, and you're and you're colliding with people. It's like that's kind of a shocker. Yeah. You know, you get your bell rung for the first time, and back then, right? Yeah. When you get your bell rung, you're like, I don't know what, I, what, I, who do I talk to? You know, you just shake yeah. it off and you keep going. But now we have that's all these true. protocols and things to look for. <laughs> yeah. um, but football ended up being my primary high school sport, and then um, I dabbled in, in the winter. I would play. You know, I I did um, outrigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being on the water. That was huge for me, and that's something I carry on to today and try to pass on to my kids. It's play in the water enjoy what we have take advantage of nature yes um and then i try to revisit baseball again in high school and i was just like i just can't see these seams that's very good you know so i played a summer i played a summer of summer league because we're like what are we gonna do we have nothing else to do in the summer uh i was like let's go play baseball like all right jeez let's go play baseball and like that was like the worst idea ever (laughs) because there was kids from like mid-pack throwing like 70s and they're and like we're like bailing out of the box (laughs) so it was funny man but um i figured it was you know high school enjoy as much of it as you can um definitely played uh football the most and then carried that into like intramurals in college and Mm -hmm. still played in college as Mm -hmm. far as just intramurals and staying active Um, yes um, but I don't think I let my kids play football nowadays, man. Yeah, it's, it's very, very different now. And me growing up playing football too, that it's, it's completely different yeah. now. Especially coming from the athletic training background, you know, yeah. keeping everyone safe, but also making them enjoy and perform the sport well. Yeah. So all of this sports experience growing up and everything, and, you know, we're similar in the fact that we didn't play in college, you yeah. know, just for fun and just for recreation. But did you kind of take the same interest to your clinical settings or what was your favorite sports to cover i know both of us we covered everything but if you were to choose the one sport that you wanted to cover would it be football uh probably yeah probably Uh, right now it's football and baseball Mm -hmm. um and i think baseball just because that's kind of been something that we've done Mm -hmm. and you know something you can always do at the house right now i'm teaching my son how to hit off of a tee yeah um, and so we're chasing T-balls everywhere, making sure they're not going over the fence. But yeah, I think covering those two sports. One, I think baseball is more of like a finesse sport. Uh-huh. Um, and I always joke around with our with our active duty folks. I'm like, baseball is the only sport that you can fail 70% of the time and be a Hall of Famer, right? Like there's no other sport where you can fail 70% of the time and, and, and end up making it to like the, the, the wall of fame. Yeah. And so um, that, and then football is just one of those where it's it's a sh- almost a short-lived career, um, but you really have to play it smart health-wise. You have to be at the top of your game. You got to do everything right. Um, but unfortunately, there's like those freak accidents, you know, yeah. like the Bo Jacksons that yeah. you just don't even think about. Yeah. Um, that can be very detrimental. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think covering those two sports are great because one's fast-paced, one's collision, one's, yeah. you know, I'd say pretty violent. Yeah. Um, but it's very exciting. Stands are packed. People are yelling. Yeah. And then baseball is really like you have to pay attention and more of a finesse and it's it's uh it's those are the two i think and i think my my boys would agree that baseball for us is big uh we'll probably get into a story later about like how i got my name and all this other stuff because you'll laugh about it later but yeah we'll we'll get into that later too yeah so i mean it's good to hear how the your your personal experience with sports kind of translates into becoming an athletic trainer the other thing that i know you very well for is just strength and conditioning and performance training as well what was that how did that evolve was it always from high school on just 
like the training side of things like to help athletes with that or did it evolve further after you became an athletic trainer yeah so i remember my first training session i stepped into a 24-hour fitness at the time and i must have been 12 or 13 um and I, I remember seeing people lifting and training, you uh-huh. know, and I, you'd see the regulars yep. and it was, I would go in with my dad and we'd, we'd see people training and I'd be like, okay, I've seen them a lot and I've uh-huh. seen this person a lot. And I think just fitness in general kind of got embedded. And as soon as it started being more formalized with the sport mm-hmm. for me, then it became a little bit more, I wanted to get curious about it. And it was always something I did and it always shaped, I think the way I approached athletic training because I knew for us, the stop for the athlete was just a pit stop if they were coming through our lane, right? Mm-hmm. It was There was something else that needed to be done as soon as they cleared certain hurdles, mm-hmm. whether it be rehab, whether it be returning from a long layoff, whether it be mm-hmm. you know starting out for the first time. Yeah. Um, and so I think it, it kind of drove the way I, I practiced, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I dabbled a lot in both sides of the house, but I knew that I wanted to get the my ATC and be an athletic trainer because it's a lot harder to go into clinicals later on than it would be <laughs> yeah. to go into strength and conditioning mm-hmm. at a later stage. And so um, I always had my heart set on doing both and kind of being like a hybrid professional. And, and fortunately, that's what I'm doing now, which is, which is really cool. Um, but I think strength and conditioning and athletic training and physical therapy, I think mm-hmm. we as professionals, there's, there's a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we have our scopes of practice, but being able to dabble in both worlds right now is is super awesome because you can put your hands on people you can manipulate them you can figure out where they need to be you can do and you know and if something happens you can assess them yeah whereas if you're just a strength coach one of the things you can't do is you can't do the assessment part mm-hmm. because you have to refer out now that that goes to say i always refer to our pts too mm-hmm. because there are certain things that we have to follow it but i think both sides of the house for me it's it's when you find that happy medium you can assess them as an athletic trainer, but you can fix them and, and prep them and train them and coach them to be more on the performance side, mm-hmm. which gives your your value a little bit more added to your organization. Yeah. Uh, and with, in my opinion, I think that's something I think that we have probably seen exponentially be a, a, a factor, right? Yeah. It's, yes. it's pretty big. So um, I, I think it started really when I was really coaching was um, when I was asked to train some of the, the kids at Radford. Mm. Um, and one one fall, um, they gave me the football team. And okay. we figured out how to make that happen. And that gym, that that weight room is super small. I, I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you remember yeah, it. Yeah. But I remember we did, we did, we got it done. And uh, Kenny was doing a great job with them mm-hmm. too. A lot of people have done that um, at Radford. And I think that kind of opened my eyes of, as a strength coach, specifically at a high school level, mm-hmm. like you look at it like, minimal resources you have to be very uh, in, you know intuitive you got to figure out what's happening um, you got training ages of zero sometimes yep. you got kids coming and going mm-hmm. um, and so I think that was that was pretty intriguing to understand like okay how does this work and then I pop back into the athletic training room yep. we do post-practice treatments and all this other stuff yep. and then figure okay what teams are going to come in and we would do small groups of volleyball in the athletic yep. training room yeah. uh, I think our athletic training room at Radford was probably more more fit more outfitted than yeah. most that you would see in Hawaii right oh, yeah, so definitely. you probably remember some of yeah. that and so that, that was good times I think Garv had a good vision I had a good vision we kind of put our heads together and yeah. like I mean let's just make this more like a performance than it is just sports medicine you know because yes. we have the capabilities to do it yeah I think the kids deserve something like that that's that's very true and I like I, I think 
all of our conversations, there's a lot of overlap with our approach, and yeah. we kind of see things in similar light. And you know, if people are guessing, like we're gonna get to what you do currently now, but yeah. we're both in similar non-traditional settings, I guess, where yeah. we get to see everything from injuries to surgeries to whatever it is, all the way back to return to their competition level or activity level. Um, and I think that's something unique that you know, there's not too many athletic trainers who get to be in that kind of situation yeah. which I'm grateful for and I know you're grateful for one of the stories that I do want to share is many people don't know this only a few people but when I got hired at pro this was back in 2014 yeah. I think it was only like one or two months in and you were one of the first people that I called I was like Neil <laughs> I don't know where to start I don't know what I'm supposed to do here I don't know anything because you had that experience of working part-time at pro team yeah, yeah. way back when but I, I look to you for that kind of advice and information just because you are one of the people that I see and respect a lot that has that, that um, I guess, that panoramic view of yeah. sports medicine, but also performance training. And, and I can tell everything that you do in your position now, you utilize and maximize all of those techniques and philosophies to the fullest. But let's, let's start talking into, you can explain what you do now, how you got to this position mm -hmm. after, after Radford, right? Yeah. You transitioned to yeah. Schofield. So you can explain how that transition was and how that played out. Yeah, thanks. I, I vaguely remember that, I, that conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, in 2010, 2009, 2010, um, I had just gotten married and I was, I was part-time at, at Pro mm -hmm. um, and I was full-time at Radford. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, there, was a, there was a job posting that came through that said, hey, we're looking for an athletic trainer mm -hmm. to work with the military. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time, I might have been, might have been, I might have been one of 12 candidates for that job okay. and in Hawaii that's that's a long shot yeah. right it's mm -hmm. it's one job there's a lot of people but I don't know if there were any other athletic trainers working in in the military capacity at that time that was still kind of fresh uh, we were still we were still kind of the thick of the war which was it was kind of going on um, and so there was a lot of um, innovation I think mm -hmm. on, on some of the leaders fronts and so they wanted an athletic trainer to work in a PT clinic. And I vowed to myself that I would never work in a PT clinic. No offense to PTs. I just didn't want to be stuck in a building, mm -hmm. you know? And that was the reason why I chose athletic training was mm -hmm. because I knew I would be on the sideline. Yes, is it hard work just like any other job? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. hard work. But if you're on the field, like you drown out everything for a couple hours. Yeah, yeah it's just, yeah. you're just enjoying the time. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of hours pre, a lot of hours post. And I knew that going from college to the high school and then going into the military, working for the military, I was like, this seems like a pretty cool gig. Uh -huh. what, I, what I had in the back of my mind, though, is Garv had hooked me up all through those years. And I, and I, I haven't told him this personally. He might see this, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I felt really bad leaving. You know, mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things where someone has basically helped you along the way mm -hmm. and you feel like you owe them a ton. And I mm -hmm. still feel, I, I tell Garb all the time, I, say, I thank you so much mm -hmm. man, for the opportunities. Mm -hmm. But I think this is an opportunity I want to take. And yep. I had just gotten married, no kids yet. So it was very easy for me to sit down with my wife and say, hey, I might, I might look at this as an option. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I did because I'm, I'm 10 years plus running in yeah. that position and it's pretty cool to be in. Mm -hmm. And so what it was, was a leader thought, hey, let's take, um, let's take a position and convert it to an athletic training position. Okay. And let's get out of the clinic and the four walls and let's be proactive, which is, which is the vision you want from any leader, yeah. right? Is to get out and get ahead of injuries and, and be out there and be up front. Yeah. And so I went in and did an interview and I'm, they're like, yeah, you're perfect. You know, like 
you, you look like a soldier, like you talk like a soldier. And I'm just like, I mean, okay, I guess yeah. that works. Yeah. Um, and I shadowed them for a week or so, mm-hmm. went in, saw what they did and who was working with who and how it happened. And when I took the job, I already knew automatically. I said, hey, this is, this is a position that we should hold on for a long time because we can take this position mm-hmm. and turn this, turn this clinic into a real uh, sports medicine feel. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be um, at the front line of saying, hey, I think this is something, a service that we can provide for our service members. Because I think we owe it to them as well, being able to sacrifice all of that. And so um, I was able to jump in and take that job, which was which is a cool feat in that I was one of a few. Okay. So I was able to jump on a couple of committees for uh, practice advancement and give my insight into mm-hmm. how does an athletic trainer work? Um, and at that time, I was also credentialed at a CSCS already. Mm-hmm. How does it? How do you work in the military? Nobody really knew, yep. and everyone thought it was like this lip lock deal, this secret group of people, you know, like <laughs> everything's so secretive. Uh, but in in all honesty, it's you're just taking sports medicine as it is and applying it to the human. Yep. But the only thing I really say is, it's it's a different game because it's that it can be very detrimental for them, mm-hmm. right? And and they pay the ultimate sacrifice. Yep. And so for us to be at the top of our game to deliver a service that nobody else can provide, I think is, is truly honorable. Mm-hmm. And I, I took it serious, you know, I said, hey, let's be innovative. And we started reshaping the way we thought, because when we were coming in, it was, we would go in and see how they train in the morning. Mm-hmm. How do we help them improve? Um, is there ways we can come in and make sure they prevent some of these injuries? Mm-hmm. Um, and at that same time, the army was kind of rolling out their new field manual. And their field manual is basically this big recipe book okay. of like a how to conduct your strength and conditioning right? okay. every single day. Because it's the most important thing they do every day. Mm-hmm. So that's where we attacked it from. It was how do we train smarter, not necessarily harder. Yep. And number two, how do we change culture? You know, Army's very culture driven, right? This yeah. is this is what we've done. This is what got us here. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. So I had to come in as a voice of reason and say, hey, here's some things we may want to think. You uh-huh. know, it's it's I always say we're turning a ship 90 degrees, yeah. but we know how long that takes to turn. Yeah. And so we're still kind of turning that ship. Uh-huh. Um, but I think we're about 45 now, 10 years in. So yeah. it's it's coming a long way. And I, I'm super excited to see what's coming in the future. But yeah, it's. I'm an extension of our PT clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of things unorthodox, meaning we, we think of the soldier as not as so much of just an athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, we take a look at their family. We take a look at their well-being. Yep. We take a look at, yep. okay, what's coming on the pipeline? What's your career like? Are yep. you staying in? Are you getting out? Are you retiring? Yes. Um, and so I think there's a little bit different caliber uh, mindset that you have to think when it comes to the military. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I do. So I, I've been running advanced programs as far as transitioning soldiers that are and beneficiaries out of the PT clinic okay. and giving them kind of that top end um, strength and conditioning, if you will, mm-hmm. that they might be missing, you know? So for instance, you've exhausted everything in the PT clinic yes. and what's next? And they're yes. always looking for the what's next. And the what next is we basically just take them to the gym. Yep. We program for them mm-hmm. um, and then we'll do every four weeks, we'll do follow-ups to PTs mm-hmm. and the PTs will say, hey, this is what I want from this individual. I'll say, okay, here's what we're gonna do. They kind of know what the entry criteria is. Mm-hmm. We kind of know what their exit criteria is. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of every four weeks, the PTs will come and say, hey, Neil, how's this so-and-so? How's so-and-so? And I basically give them my 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 feedback. Mm-hmm. Do we need to extend them? Do we need to work on something different? Do we need to take a different approach? Um, are they not responding? And so I think we've created a good cohort of people that communicate, uh-huh. that are on the same page, that are looking to 
not just kick people out the door, yeah. but to send them back to return to full duty almost at a almost at a near hundred yeah. percent. You know, and I think I don't think we'll ever get them to hundred percent because of the strict timelines that we have and the stress and and you know all the things that are hey you need to hurry up and get back to work. Yeah. Um, but I think we're doing better than what we what we what we could have been doing you know multiple years ago. <laughs> yeah. We should have been doing multiple years ago. Um, and I think that's that that pays a tribute to just knowing kind of where we need to be in yeah. delivering services. Yeah. You know, so I think you're in the same you're in no, the same yeah. boat, man. I, I think, and that's why I think it's so interesting to talk to you, whether it's on this podcast or outside of here too. Yeah. Our conversations. I mean, we don't talk very frequently, but yeah. when we do, it's very meaningful, especially to me because. That's what Pro was built onto. It's kind of that bridge, bridging the gap from, okay, you're healed, recovered from injury, or yeah. you're, you've exhausted PT. But as we both know, there's a long road to navigate effectively or you know train smart to get you back to that performance level and yeah. better so that you don't have recurrence of injury, but also you can you know do all the things that you enjoy doing. I mean, there's so many things that you just said. We won't touch on all of them because they all could be separate episodes. Yeah. Right? But the one good thing is, I like how you work with a like a multidisciplinary team because mm-hmm. that's what everyone needs to do. Which unfortunately, not all healthcare settings I think are set up like that. Like you need input from all the different professions because they all add a piece to the puzzle yeah. to help to care for the athlete or the patient better. That's one thing that I really admire about what you guys set up over there. I mean, it's something that our company too is trying to you know integrate more of all these. Um, healthcare professionals yeah. into the into the pot so that we can get better quality results better outcomes but the other thing about it too that you you mentioned i've heard you give talks about this too is that it's a very holistic or like i guess another multi-dimensional approach yeah. to not only care for the athlete physically but like you said it's everything from where are you in your career what's your future plans what's your family like what's your mental health emotional health everything yeah all plays a big part of that puzzle to make sure that we're giving the athlete that individualized attention that they really need. And I, I think that's what you guys do a great job at. You want to elaborate a little bit more on, on yeah. that piece of the puzzle? You know, that's that's huge because yeah. I think, um, you know, it starts off with whenever it comes to performance, we always yeah. think, you know, we think of the big three, right? Uh-huh. It's activities always first. Uh, you know, sleep might be number two. Yeah. Nutrition is probably number two, which probably should be like more like number one, yeah. right? Uh, but those are the big three, right? It's recovery, it's it's activity, and it's nutrition. Mm-hmm. But I think there's five other aspects that we're missing, right? It's it's the social aspect, which is something like right now. It's it's huge because people people's mental health right now. It's like yeah. if you noticed it, it's changed a lot. Yeah. Even just in the store, you walk around, and it's like oh, like. Get it, stay in your bubble, you know? Yeah. Like, everyone's so afraid to, like, be around people. Yeah. So, like, what's your social environment look like? You know, do you have a good support system at home? Mm-hmm. And here in Hawaii, a lot of people in the military specifically are so disconnected. Yeah. So, you kind of have to factor that in. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your professional development like? So, again, you know, where are you trying to go? Mm-hmm. You know, is it what is it something that you're trying going back to school? Are you trying to promote? Yeah. You know, again, are you staying in or getting out? Um, so professional development is another one that we try to attack. We try to attack their, you know, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I always give the example of like my where I live. It's there's buses and stuff going around. So environmentally or in your in your space of your living space, it's you have to make it safe. Mm-hmm. So there's no way I can let my kids run around, you know, on the street with a bus yeah. coming down the major artery. Yeah. You know, there's no way. Um, that's that's you know three of three of the other five. Mm-hmm. You know, then it comes down to your emotional health, which mm-hmm. you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something huge because. 
emotional health for us you can you can look at somebody and think you know but do you really know what they're feeling you know not necessarily Mm -hmm. um and you know and after their emotional health um then we take a look at you know activity sleep nutrition professional development emotional health uh environment um social activities um and there's one more i'm missing on that i think i'm forgetting but anyways i'll come back to that one um but this, this, what we call the move to health wheel, and this wheel basically encompasses multiple facets of, let's say I put you in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what our multidisciplinary, what we refer to as our multi-D teams, mm-hmm. um, because the Army's so good at having specialists in all those areas. Mm-hmm. If, if we surround the athlete, the soldier, the person, mm-hmm. then I think it becomes a little bit more of a conversation rather than a, yes. a prescription. Yes. You know, one of the things we always talk about is we're trying to get rid of pills, potions, and procedures, right? Uh Those are the things you want to avoid. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that surgery is bad. It's not to say that you don't need to take any meds. It's not to say that you don't need any concoctions of, you know, trying different recipes and things. But our goal is not to rely on those things, Mm -hmm. right? Our goal is to what can you do to not rely on something but improve yourself and not introduce, you know, external chemicals that may be harmful, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's and that's what we're trying to do specifically with you know opioid epidemics and things like mm-hmm. that is we want to try to get away from that stuff. Yes. Um, yoga, you know, meditation, you know, tai chi, yeah. you know, just training in general. Yeah. Um, Bikram yoga. A lot of there's a lot of different ideas that we can throw around. Around, but I think people once you start to notice like okay, once you dive into their history, what they're, what's yeah. available to them, what do they like to do. And you start asking the questions of how do you sleep, how's your environment, how do you feel? They start to buy into you a little bit more as, mm-hmm. as a clinician, and they, they take that those blinders off. Yeah, yeah. you, you yeah. notice it too. Yeah. you'll notice people open up a lot more when they they know and they sense that you care a lot more, yeah. rather than here's your training plan, go out and execute. Exactly. You know? Yeah. No, I think, and it's good to hear from your position how you apply that to your your soldiers, your athletes. Um, and unfortunately, one of my big things, you know, both of us been in athletic training, so it's kind of like how you mentioned resources earlier. The higher you get at whatever level, whether that's in the military or professional sports, you have access to everything that we just talked about, all of the resources available, everything that you need from a multidisciplinary approach. But unfortunately, these are things that oftentimes you don't need a lot of resources. Yeah. You just need the right people on your team really Mm -hmm. to help you in these aspects of your life and that's one of my thing with with my company and everything trying to get all of these resources to the average person because unfortunately i mean we both know if we weren't athletic trainers we probably wouldn't be exposed to everything that we do for all of our athletes and that's unfortunate because there's a lot of noise i think in the world with what you what you should be doing or what you think you should be doing but when it comes down to it it's pretty basic you know just just fundamental habits that take care of your physical health, emotional health, whatever it is, yeah. social health. And I think that's one thing that is, it's excellent that you've transformed that clinic and you're kind of, like you said, you're slowly steering the ship yeah. into the right direction because it's been done one way for so long. And I think that's outside of the military too. It's everything beyond that in, in athletics and and education and everything. You know? yeah. So with all of that education that you do, you know, and then obviously showing that you care to really help the athlete or the soldier to really open up to you how, how do you approach that those techniques or how do you bring that to the table on a daily basis yeah so that's funny because i punch in i punch in earlier than most people do okay uh so i'm actually 
my first session will start at five. Okay. Um, and the reason I did that is because we have a lot of leaders that are that are very tied up in time. You know, mm -hmm. that's if there's something more we can have, it's probably time. Mm -hmm. And so when I first when I first got the job, it was hey, let's start at six thirty. You know, mm -hmm. start at six. First session starts at six thirty, and because everybody trains from six thirty to eight, that's our standard training block. Okay. Um, and so I said, well, there's a lot of people that need services before that. And they would probably take on those services. So we tried a five o'clock session, mm -hmm. which would roll me from five to six and then six to six, you know, six to six thirty, I have a little transition period. Mm -hmm. Six thirty to eight, everybody trains and then I transition. You know, so what I did was I said, let's take a look at what fits people's schedules. So again, mm -hmm. taking into account like how do they yeah. work, what's their work schedule like? And I started to notice our executive athletes, primarily our leaders, right? Uh -huh. The officers, the senior enlisted, okay. they liked working a lot earlier because they were able to knock it out mm -hmm. and then be done with it. Mm -hmm. So we started offering a five o'clock service. Mm -hmm. Now you take five o'clock, what's, you know, what do they look like coming in at five o'clock yeah. and starting? You know, it's dark for an hour. Uh, fortunately, we have good relationships with people at facilities and mm -hmm. we have facilities to work in and out of. Uh, the military is born and bred and doing stuff really, really early and getting after it. Uh, but then you have to think of, okay, you have to address how they're recovering and sleeping because you can see them come in at five o'clock and sometimes they look like a zombie yeah. and sometimes they look really fresh and energized. Yeah. I think that's when you put your coach's eye on and you take a look at them through a different lens. You say, you know, how are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. Um, I notice you're a little bit more tired, a little more lethargic, and you just have to be blunt with them. Yeah. You know, I think once you say, you start to throw too many sciencey terms at them, they're like, oh, like they kind of get turned off. Yeah. Um, so I'll just say, hey, well, you know, you feeling all right today? You look a little, you know, look a little bummed out? Yeah. Look a little tired? They're like, yeah, I just came off of staff duty. So that means they just, they had maybe just pulled a 24 or they're at the yeah. end of their 24 hour yeah. shift. You know, then you have to make that call. Like, do you push them through that training yeah. session or you do you send them away and say, hey, just call it water under a bridge and, and yeah. it is what it is. You go and sleep, punch out, get some sleep and then uh, come back either, come back later or I'll see you in a day and a half or a day. Um, and so I think that's where the approach comes in because once they know that you're empathetic to that, yeah. you're not there just to give them their therapy or their training session. It's yeah. you're really looking at them from a different perspective, yeah. you know, to to put it in simpler terms, I think we're professional stress managers. I say this a lot, right? Yeah. It's like we have to know when to induce and when to uh -huh. pull back and then when can we, you know, put a little bit more yeah. um, and when do we just go through a recovery session and flush the system? So I think that's where it, it opened my eyes to understand like you have to look at training and physical prowess and, mm -hmm. and training and, and rehabbing people from a little bit of a different perspective mm -hmm. because when they're tired, when they're overstressed, increased pain signals, yeah. lack of motivation, yeah. you know, and so you don't want to send them on their way knowing that you just, you know, you just basically put a hatchet in them and they're walking yeah. out of here like with a limp. Um, so I think that approach is huge. And so offering services at early for people that can make the time mm -hmm. and then going into normal training sessions at 630, mm -hmm. that's kind of like um, sometimes I'll teach, I'll teach big groups, okay. I'll do leadership education. Mm -hmm. uh, we do a la carte services for units. They say, hey, we wanna come in and work with gate analysis. Okay. Um, and that, that was big, you know, taking on this job and like, <laughs> hey, gate analysis is a part of your job. <laughs> Like I don't know how much gate analysis you got in school, but when you we go through, get it, anything. yeah, <laughs> like you look at the, you remember that gate picture, yeah. you know what phases you're in, but yeah. have you really looked at somebody running? Yeah. Um, 
And so I, I learned real quick on what my resources were on who are the experts in the running industry. You know, you look at the Olympic training centers, who's their coaches. You look at runners of the world. You look at coaches, marathoners, ultra marathoners, which I never thought I'd have to study from, <laughs> you know, because in the military, they go miles, you yeah. know, specifically for rug-based selection schools, special mm -hmm. forces, ranger assessment. Um, so they have to put miles on their feet. So you kind of have to figure out, you know, on the fly and on the job yeah. what works who to learn from, where do you have to dive into to kind of pick up a little bit more skills. Um, and so that's, the morning is a lot of physical training. Um, I do a rehab at zero 05, I'll do some more trainings at nine. Okay. Um, and the reason why I offered two sessions and one at five and one at nine o'clock is because some people couldn't make it to a nine o'clock because their work schedule, everybody's work mm -hmm. schedule starts at nine o'clock, yeah. right? So they train at 6.30 to eight, they, they have breakfast and hygiene, they do their thing, they get ready, and then they punch in for first formation at nine. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can't miss that first formation because that's your roll call, yeah. right? But they can make a zero five and still make work mm -hmm. call. Mm -hmm. So what's it to me to sacrifice, you know, getting up early? Yeah. Um, when I know that this is a service that's warranted, mm -hmm. you know, and then it just brings, I think, a better value added to our clinic to say, hey, yeah. there's options for you here rather than just being stuck to you have to come in at this specific time. Yeah. You know, because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm one of one basically running around doing yeah. a lot of this extended service. So I try to make myself available. Again, it's hard because I don't want to run myself in the ground. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, from like five to nine, it's a lot of physical training, nine to about 11 typically rehabs um, okay. you know it could be broken up by lower upper quarter uh -huh. um, it could be individualized training it mm -hmm. could be going into meetings and you know doing injury prevention briefs and injury yeah. mitigation briefs uh, showing leaders kind of hey here's what I'm seeing in trends so sometimes I'll be that stalker and I'll just watch you know units because I can see what their shirt says so I yeah. know where they're from yeah. and I'll just kind of watch Mm -hmm. And I think that's huge because observing and being able to talk what's happening on the ground mm -hmm. to leaders that may not know when they're leading 3,000 soldiers, mm -hmm. they're not going to know exactly what happens day mm -hmm. in, day out. Yeah. But then it, that allows us to come in and say, hey, here's a problem, but also here's a solution. Yeah. Right. Because the worst thing you can do is say, hey, you're doing this wrong, but not provide a solution. Yes. They're like, what good is that? Yeah, you know, exactly. so we draw that. We draw the lines and connect the dots between you know, our injury rates high. Have you seen a spike in certain injuries lately? Mm. Um, and there could be a correlation, just anecdotal correlation that you, when you're observing, you see certain things happening mm -hmm. and then they pop up on this report and everyone's like, why are you red? You know, because <laughs> yeah. everybody else is amber and green, yeah. but why are you red? And you can help the leader understand so they don't get sharpshooted in the meeting yeah. to say, yeah. sir, ma'am, why are you red? Explain this, yeah. you know, they already know in advance. So mm -hmm. um, that's another part of what I do, a lot of surveillance. Okay. So I can feed information and kind of be a liaison to leaders yeah. when it's just an extra set of eyes that maybe they yeah. didn't have. They truly appreciate that. Yeah. Um, they do not like getting sharpshooted in a meeting, you know, <laughs> yeah. getting blindsided by as a leader. It's like that's the yeah. most embarrassing thing. But um, if you can provide that and get their extra set of eyes, that gives them some more leverage to tackle yeah. some of the problems that we're trying to get ahead of, mm -hmm. you know. So. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, a lot of training in the morning, meetings, uh, educational seminars. Um, I don't like to use the word expert because I'm not necessarily an expert <laughs> and I don't really like it. But um, we try to be as, as provide as much knowledge as we can because, mm -hmm. again, we're seen as experts in the field, um, however you want to take that. Yeah. But we still have a lot to learn. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to learn. There's yeah. a, this changing is so dynamic. Yes. Um, and so we just try to relay that information and be another asset to them that, that, mm -hmm. that gives them some more value and be them a little more, make them a little more bulletproof, if you will. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, that's one thing. I mean, you say so many good gems, like 
everyone needs to just rewind this and listen <laughs> listen one more time because there's so many good things in here but yeah. yeah like i think one of the one of the unique things about the military right is that it's very structured mm -hmm. and although it's very structured i like what you said like how you kind of looked at what needed to be done and you were flexible within that structure to give more options and you know people might not be in the military per se but yeah with whatever your goals are right because everyone has jobs yeah. you have to work right yeah. and you can there's so many things that you can do to make whatever it is physical activity or nutrition or getting sleep you can make it work a lot better with your schedule yeah. it doesn't have to be done one way and i think that's what we can take a lot from you know the military structure and everything that there are ways to rearrange everything and still have a good balance where it's just not overloaded in one aspect and yeah. then you're just driving yourself into the ground yeah. i think that's the one thing that i liked about the structure and how you gave them different options um the other thing too is how you're addressing like everything from you know observing what's happening observing some of the trends and everything i think that that's a tremendous attribute to really help to prevent things before they become a problem yeah. um and in the field of athletic training as both both of us know i mean it's always easier to prevent things. Mm -hmm. I mean, even simple things like if someone's going to step on that ball, we better move it. You know, <laughs> that's way easier than dealing with the sprained ankle out there. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's always looking for the preventative measures that we can instill to the population. And I think for the general or anyone listening to this, for the general population, that's the thing that we want to kind of nail home or t the take home message is like, try to have that prophylactic or that preventative mindset yeah. instead of relying like you said on pills potions and all of these other things that you know it's kind of masking the issues taking care of the symptoms but we're not addressing the underlying cause so yeah. the preventative mindset that you take to the military field i think that's a huge asset for them so that you know you're saving them a lot of time stress frustration and of course injuries and then the last thing is i i even went to you for advice we yeah. both spoke as a presenter at hata which is our yeah. local annual symposium yeah. and honestly even though i'm doing the podcast and stuff this has taken a lot of practice for me to even get to this point to feel remotely comfortable speaking about anything yeah. but for you i think it comes more naturally than me for sure <laughs> and that's one thing i think athletic trainers or any healthcare professional it's learning how to communicate effectively to the whoever it is yeah. you could be in a meeting talking to the leaders making sure that they understand what some of the i guess the issues that you're seeing that could be improved or even just getting your soldier to buy in right and i think that's a overlooked asset sometimes mm -hmm. or skill to develop is like effective communication that is that is huge <laughs> no matter what you're doing you don't have to be in a healthcare profession but with anything if you have all the knowledge but you can't communicate it yeah you're stuck yeah. it's really it's really useless at that point you know? yeah is there anything that you have to share about that because i know you do a lot of educational workshops meetings seminars yeah. and what have you learned i guess in that aspect of your profession the communication or presenting yeah. approach you know the communication piece is big because yeah. if you look at the age spectrum that we that we service yeah. you know we can get 17 18 19 year olds that are fresh out of high school, you know, this is our first duty station, yeah. and you start throwing around fancy terms, and it's just like, like they're gone, right? <laughs> they're they're checked out. Then you have senior leaders that have been in the game for 20, 25, 30 years, you know, and they got two stars, three, four stars on their chest, mm -hmm. and they're like, 
two degrees of two master's degrees, doctor's yeah. degrees, advanced war college, <laughs> medals, you know, it can be very intimidating. And I will say um, it's OK to be nervous. And I think one of the things as as I think we spoke about this, I remember you, you met <laughs> telling me that you were you're practicing communication <laughs> and leaders. And, yeah. and I think one of the biggest things I've learned to do is is to know what your physiological responses are when you start to talk. And I think I remember telling you this, right? Yes. Do, do your palms get sweaty? Do you stutter? That's Those are key indicators. I think learning about ourselves mm-hmm. is big. You know, reviewing video of what are your tendencies? Yeah. You know, do you talk a lot with your hands? <laughs> uh, are you expressive in, 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 com- in comedic nature? Mm-hmm. That's Those are things that intrigue people. Mm-hmm. From our medical perspective, one of the communication aspects that I try to hone in on is is what we say matters and I kind of stole that phrase um, from Nick Winkleman you know and and the biggest thing I think in the medical industry is we tell people what not to do or we give them very traumatic news right as opposed to being empathetic and saying hey instead of not instead of saying don't run anymore it's bad for you yeah you might want to say something like, hey, let's ease off on the running and let's find an alternative event. Mm-hmm. So we can probably hopefully get you back to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. It, it takes on a little bit of a different connotation, right? And they receive it a little different mm-hmm. because when you're very negative to somebody, that's what they, that's what they chew on, yeah. right? They're yeah. only going to take in 25% of what, yeah. you, what, you, what you say. Uh-huh. And so that 25% could have just been, oh, don't run anymore. And how many times have you heard, like, yes. oh, doc told me not to run anymore. Yeah. It's bad for my knees, <laughs> yeah. you know, but... Was there ever a, situ- a solution to that problem? Mm-hmm. You know, or was there ever any effort to try to get you back? Because if for me to tell a soldier not to run mm-hmm. and then his leader tells him he has to run yeah. or her, they have to run, yeah. like that's out of my control. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to know where you're going to send them. And I think communication is big because, again, it's almost like empathy and, sympath- and being sympathetic as well. It's understanding what to convey, when to convey it, right? Yep. When to crack a joke and when to be serious. Yes, exactly. You know, when to repeat something three or four times so they can pick up on it and they know it's an important fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's big. I, uh, you know, I'm very bad with names. I am horrible with names, right? And if I only see you once or twice, oh, yeah. I don't remember. And I'm glad they have their name tape because I can see their name uh-huh. all the time. Um, but knowing people's names is huge. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's something I'm guilty of and I'm still trying to be better at. It's mm-hmm. understanding that knowing somebody's name is big because now it be, feels a little more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, communication is huge. I think it's something that we don't practice enough. Yeah. Either we don't have enough time for or we don't have enough uh, people that have, are willing to share like techniques and trades of mm-hmm. talking and how to communicate. Uh, I think it's just assumed that we know how to communicate because we can talk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, it's big. I think it's in the military. It's, mm-hmm. I remember I was sitting in a meeting and, and um, this is probably one of the few times I've ever been I've I've lost my words. I went blank. Okay. And I was asked to deploy to Afghanistan. Oh man. Like how yeah, would you feel yeah, like exactly. Yeah, like yeah. and and I was like uh I don't know what you mean, sir. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. what do you say? Yeah. I have to get back to you on that? Yeah. Um and so at that instance you kind of figure out and that's what happened. I started sweating, my heart started racing. Yeah. I got very nervous and jittery. Mm-hmm. And I've spoken to that group multiple times, mm-hmm. you know, but it can be something as a trigger like that that sets you off path. Mm-hmm. How do you bring yourself back? Yes. You know, how do you how do you control that? And so what some techniques that I've learned, a little bit of secrets that I've done mm-hmm. is you'll notice I'll slow down when I when I start to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, prolong breaks in between words. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's big because yeah. 
you start to notice if you get hot, you start to sweat, you start yes. to get agitated, you fumble, then you notice that you're out of control. Yes. Those are those are some things I think we can work on. Communication's big. Um, understanding and studying people, how they communicate is big. Yeah. Um, filming yourself. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> film yourself and see what you do, natural tendencies. Yeah. Um, put a couple Facebook lives up and see what happens, you know? <laughs> I know, live will not hide anything. So, <laughs> yeah, but no, I think I think that's a good message because that has helped, I would say, a lot of your success in your position mm. and everything to effectively relate to people, communicate the message, and also um, find out what is needed to be done, yeah. like what you can do to accommodate or service these soldiers and units yeah. better, Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, the, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you're super busy and everything, yeah. but let's go over what's, what's one of the, in your perspective, what's one of the best, best aspects of your job? Yeah. Like what, what do you enjoy doing the most? To be honest with you, it's, um, it's being able to work with the soldiers that you know want to get better mm -hmm. and they they realize that there's more than one way to do something mm -hmm. right and in the military it's very driven they're very this is how we've done it and mm -hmm. so when you're the voice of reason when you bring in not only the evidence and the and the practice and the and the 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 frame that they want to see the fresh voice i guess if you will um you're still doing what the army wants them to do, but it's a different take, you know? And the, the common phrase that I'll always get is, I wish I would have had this, or I wish I would have known this how many years ago, or I yes. wish I would have known this back at so-and-so. Um, and I'll just say basically, you know, it's, it's, it's different places have different assets and different resources, like you said. Mm -hmm. And we're fortunate in Hawaii, and I'm fortunate to be in the position where we can provide a service to them that mm -hmm. we can be a little bit more innovative and creative mm -hmm. because, um, it's it was laid long time ago before I got there. You know, yeah. someone had the pioneer vision that was able to give us the the platform to do that. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I really really enjoy is is starting new projects and seeing them come to fruition. Yeah. And when they catch steam, like a school that we stood up in 2011, from a group of soldiers that just didn't deploy. They didn't deploy because they were what we call rear D. So they were the rear detachment, meaning they got left back. Okay. Uh, new soldiers got. You know, we just took these soldiers because leadership said, hey, we need to do something with these guys and girls. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with them? Mm -hmm. And it's turned into this big school uh, in the middle of the Pacific that's 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 renowned now around the Army. Oh. Um, and it started from seven days of just doing physical training and talking to them and doing normal soldier tasks, right? Uh -huh. So I was working alongside soldiers. Projects like that, like just give you a shimmer of light to say, hey, you're doing something really good yeah. and you're starting things for the military that have been long waited for, right? It's yes. introducing human performance from, yes. the, from the science background, but also the practice-based evidence background, right? Yes. Yes. Um, getting your hands dirty. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, working with the special forces guys, the Rangers, you know, in, and the ladies now that are coming through those pipelines. Um, and then seeing them come become leaders that are, you know, senior leaders and doing big things. Uh, that's that like that tickles you a little bit as yeah. a coach and as an athletic trainer, because you want to see them be successful, whether they stay in or get out. Mm -hmm. You know, I always tell them if they're getting out of the military, I tell them, don't be afraid to email me. Like, yeah. It's not illegal to email me because you're no longer in the military, yeah. right? That's that's yeah. free game. I'm mm -hmm. like, 
that's something that we owe to you, I think, for serving our country. And so um, I always try to keep the communications line, lines open. And it's it's funny how many years, like it's like athletes, like years down the line, yeah. they come back. They're like, hey, Neil, you remember me from 2012? I'm like, uh, kind of, not really. You know, there was like 10,000 of you at that time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's big. I think working with soldiers and seeing where they've gone and what they're doing now and and working obviously with the elite of the elite and yeah. seeing what they do and then obviously coming back and being leaders mm-hmm. um i've seen that multiple times it's 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 good to be uh, a constant and yeah. see the change happening for the good you know yeah um so I, there's a lot to it there's a there's, lot to it there's a lot yes yeah. there's a lot that you do in your position as well is there is there anything that you're looking forward to in the near future, yeah. the next few years, uh, either yourself professionally, personally, or anything else that you want to share. Yeah, that yeah. we were talking about this yeah. a little bit earlier, but um, the army is expanding the way it's thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really taking on the co- the collegiate professional model of there needs to be professionals surrounding the athlete. So again, we're taking that holistic approach, yeah. and they're moving to that, right? It's in the pilot phase right now. They're they're testing it at sites and they're showing. Uh, pretty good promise that it's going to be um, sweeping across the army here sooner than we think. Mm-hmm. Meaning that there's going to be human performance teams mm-hmm. surrounding the soldier, mm-hmm. which for I don't think it's fair to have a soldier that has seven other tasks they have to do, mm-hmm. as well as lead people, then have to think about how they're going to train their soldiers. Yeah. Right? I think there's more than enough resources now, at, mm-hmm. not only at our fingertips, but human-wise that we can help provide that that resource, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're starting to see that creep through the army. It obviously, it started with the special forces and the, mm-hmm. the, the assets and the units that have a lot of money mm-hmm. um, and resources available to them because they should, because they're, mm-hmm. they're the tip of the spear. Mm-hmm. And now it's trickling down to the conventional forces where the masses of the military are, right? Yep. It's, it's your support, it's your, mm-hmm. it's your cooks, it's yep. your, logisticians it's your (laughs) finance people it's everybody within the army that wears a uniform I think they deserve that service Mm -hmm. and they're finally being able to deliver that so I think a a lot more of me and you's and (laughs) and individuals in occupational therapy Mm -hmm. and physical therapy and sports psychology are going to start being embedded and it's it's great to see I always say I always joke around it's a great time to be a part of the army because Uh you've been waiting for this transition to happen. You know, yeah. like I said, we're at 45 degrees. Yeah. When we make that 90 degree full turn and, and we're at that full, that means that we've seen a lot of things come to fruition mm-hmm. to include human performance services at the at the front lines yeah. every day with the soldiers yeah. and, and they can come to us whenever they need to, yeah. you know? So um, that's big, that's on the front, uh, hopefully. And last week, we, I had a talk with with some of our leadership, mm-hmm. um, just to share some knowledge of best practices that we're doing. Because, yeah. to be honest with you, I like to think a little bit ahead of the game. And mm-hmm. we've been doing this for ten years with the army. But what I've been doing is seeing what the trends are in the performance world, yes. and then embedding it in the military world. Because yes. some things, just like in Hawaii, take a lot to get through, right? Yeah. And so you kind of want to push it forward, even though it may be scary and daunting to try new things. Yeah. As a professional, as a leader, as an educator, as a coach, as an athletic trainer, I think we have to be able to step out of our comfort zone and see what the options are. I think being afraid to fail is is a huge is a huge misstep, Mm -hmm. right? Um, 
but again it's it's checking balances making sure that you're not causing harm obviously Mm -hmm. but it's being innovative it's being creative it's trying to persuade people to do things a little bit more intelligently yeah rather than just following what we've always done yes Uh, so it's it's there's exciting times coming ahead for sure (laughs) yeah there's a lot of exciting times (laughs) so you know I I know I reach out to you a lot and then I I'm the same way and trying to follow all of the trends, you know, all of the resources that are available to the best of the best. Yeah. Try to find how can we bring that in some shape or form to any population, right? Because that's what helps you take care, better care of you, right? Yeah. So you can be better at whatever your career is, just be better for the people around you and everything. But talking about the trends, I guess, in the next, let's go five to 10 years, what is some of the things that you think with whatever you're comfortable with yeah. sharing but what are some of the trends that you see everything moving towards whether that's the field and industry of athletics or even just military where are we where are we headed in human performance yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely a lot more technology mm-hmm. um, I think that's that goes without being said every year there's always something new um, I think there's always different techniques there's always different ways that we can approach things Mm -hmm. so I think technology is gonna be number one I think the use of digital platforms like as we've seen in the last few months I think that's not gonna go anywhere anytime soon Um, I think just because I think just because the technology is there I don't want to undermine the fact that Mm -hmm. the human element is not as valuable Mm -hmm. the human element is is always valuable right because you can only send so many things through a system Mm -hmm. but it's the eyes the ears it's the senses it's the feels it's the smells that can't be replaced by an artificial intelligence system right and so the importance of us embedding humans with the expertise with the knowledge uh, to be able to adjust on the fly um, is is going to be big. Which that's why I think those two having technology and having professionals uh, within the performance world is going to be big. Yes, I think we rely a lot on technology, um, but I think it should drive us, not necessarily be the sole focus of what we do and why we do certain yes. things. Right? It's still up here. Yes. It's still at the fingertips. Yes. Um, and I think on that, it's also it's being able to groom I think the next group of individuals behind us right it's share knowledge like we're doing here on hey what are some trends I think are are key you know podcasts in the last few years have exponentially blown up (laughs) you know I'm 30 minutes up and 30 minutes back in commute so I'm in a podcast every chance I get Mm -hmm. Um, where can we learn from and share that knowledge and I think you know with the technology at our fingertips we share knowledge yeah. all a lot yes learning how to filter it is a yes. different story right <laughs> yes. so what- there's so many different things all around there but yeah. yes it's for the average person or you know for the professional i think to sift through it for your clients yeah. for your athletes yeah. Yeah. yeah but i like what you said there is the human element i think we were talking about this a little bit before the episode but with covid you know you have to adapt like mm-hmm. everyone's adapting figuring out how to be innovative and still do whatever services you can yeah. with whatever restrictions and recommendations there are um, I've been personally playing around with a lot of virtual virtual training you know online training all of this kind of things but I completely agree with you there's certain mm-hmm. things that you can't replace being face to face with someone yeah. that human element and kind of transitioning the last thing that I wanted to talk about is you know everyone's seeing this this week especially when we're recording this as we speak all of fall sports are being canceled yeah. collegiate fall sports who knows what's going to happen with the pro sports such I a mean, sad time yeah right? and for <laughs> athletic trainers this is like this is our profession you know yeah. it's like yeah. but at the same time i think in the athletic training world 
it's a very tough time because if there's no sports then there's really nothing for us to do you yeah. know yeah. and i think you know whatever it is like podcasting or getting information out there i think this is a time for athletic trainers to come and bind together and support each other but also it's a good time to try to advocate for the profession yeah. because still we're in 2020 and i will admit i said this before too I didn't know what athletic training was until 2008. Yeah. I wasn't your high school athlete that yeah. got injured and saw the athletic yeah. training, but yeah. you know, it's 2020 now. And then still the athletic training profession is not well known as a healthcare profession. Mm -hmm. So that's the last thing that I wanted to just bounce some ideas off of you is, you know, I, I know for myself, I'm very proud to be an athletic trainer. I owe it to a lot of great athletic trainers before me, a lot yeah. of mentors, a lot of colleagues, just like you. And, the athletic training profession, I think there's a lot of people that just care, you mm -hmm. know? Um, we had a, my classmate, actually, Jay Christensen, yeah. right? Yeah. That was his thing. Like, what what, um, what would he say about the athletic training profession? And he, he kind of put in words basically saying that all your athletic trainers, they're in the profession because they care. Yeah. We're definitely not in it for the money. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, that's, I know, don't know. Jay's got some pretty cool stuff going <laughs> on, true, man. <laughs> but, I mean, what can you share about... You know, being an athletic trainer yourself, but especially during these times with sports being canceled and kind of everything's up in the air until further notice. What are some of your insights on that? Yeah, and that's, you know, my my heart goes out to a lot of the DOE, a lot of the ILH athletic trainers, collegiate athletic trainers, NFL, everybody, right? Yeah. It's you've had to, I always say, navigate uncharted waters. Mm -hmm. And that's something that nobody, I think, ever wants to do. I don't think yeah. we ever saw ourselves trying to figure out where, where's, where's the top, where's the top of the water. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're like mid-level looking up, and we're still trying to figure it out. Um, I will say that um, it is important to understand that there's going to be a time when we have the surge, the, the surge, yeah. and when all of that stuff ramp because it's not going away. It's just on pause, it's right? On it's kind of just stowed away a little bit. But when that ramps up, we're going to have our hands full, mm -hmm. right? We're going to have a lot of things to do. It's going to start with right now, I think, prepping individuals and parents and coaches to say, hey, just because your sport is on pause doesn't mean that you are on pause, mm -hmm. right? It's you still got to do what you're going to do because it's going to come back. And when yeah. it comes back, you don't want to be two miles behind the rest yeah. of the pack, <laughs> right? So what can we do in the meantime? It's, it is getting innovative. It is sharing knowledge. And as athletic trainers, we still need to be on the injury prevention front, right? Mm -hmm. Injury mitigation. Yeah. We're going to see people come back in a deconditioned state, mm -hmm. you know? So how do we educate folks on you are going to be deconditioned if you do nothing? It's just, it's common sense, yeah. but it may not be something that they think about, yes. right? There's, they could be down in the dumps mentally because their sport yeah. got canceled. Yeah. Or you have at the high school level, right? You have a high school athlete that is D1 caliber that was going to play football mm -hmm. and they're also going to play basketball, mm -hmm. right? Or they're going to wrestle, yeah. right? Now what do you do, yeah. right? Because now everything's going to be so compressed. Yeah. So we're going to have a lot of things to work on, but I think it's to our benefit that one, we think as a forecaster and we can kind of mm -hmm. see these things ahead and, mm -hmm. and, and be a little bit more preventative and proactive. Mm -hmm. um, education's big. Yeah. Um, being in the ear within earshot and, and being available, mm -hmm. right? Being available to to what's what's our what are some trends that maybe we don't know about in Hawaii that other places across the world across the nation are doing that's effective and mm -hmm. and proven so yep. um, staying up to that staying up on that I, I would highly encourage a lot of our athletic trainers to mm -hmm. to 
work on staying relevant, yep. you know, whether it be helping in a different arena or knowing that you can you can volunteer in a certain area and be relevant within your within your organization. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's huge because yep. what I don't want to see is people starting to get laid off and yep. cut jobs because again in this in this state of Hawaii we've worked people have worked so hard mm-hmm. before us yes. that have laid the foundation to put mm-hmm. two athletic trainers at a high school. Yeah. Right? Some athletic trainers in on the mainland don't even have one. Yeah. They don't even have one for a district, yeah, which yeah. is scary. That is scary. You know, yeah. so we, I talk a lot with with um, with friends in like L.A. and California, and mm-hmm. they're still struggling to put people in positions where I think we need them. So we're very fortunate, but we also still have to prove worth. We still have to show value. And I think that's one way of doing it is how are we making our presence known by being advocates for injury prevention and mitigation? Yes. You know, and this is a good time for people to actually hit the reset button to figure out, yes. you know, it may not be physicality that you need to work on. It may be your mental game, mm-hmm. you know, maybe dialing in your nutrition. Yeah. Um, you know, school's going to be back in session as well. You're going to be at home. You know, yeah. are you an emotional eater? Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, exactly. that's, we have four weeks until they're actually potentially uh, back at face to face school. So there's a lot of ways I think we can dabble in because they're, mm-hmm. they fall within our scope, right? Yeah. We can counsel on a lot of that stuff. Yes. We're just not prescribing hey, here's an X amount of nutrition that you need to yes. do. It's what are you thinking about? It's yep. plant the seed really, yep. you know? Um, but I think that's big. I think a lot of athletic trainers across the board, you know, we're all in the same boat. Strength condition coaches are in the same boat. Yes. Physical therapists are in the same boat yep. doing virtual, yep. you know? Nobody thought we'd be doing a lot of virtual telehealth yes. uh, for this long. And mm-hmm. so um, I think for us coming together and sharing that information and how are we approaching it, there's there's so much we can do, um, and I think there's so many means that we can deliver that. Yeah. It's just finding you know how are we going to effectively do it. Yes. you know it's that's that's big. Yes, um, yeah, it's, no, it's 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 a crazy time. It's a cra- yeah, it's definitely <laughs> crazy and uncertain times. And just like what you said, I, I completely agree in that. That's the one thing for people that are not aware of what athletic trainers are trained to do. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, I hate to admit it, but it's almost like we're the jack of all trades yeah. to some extent. But we're like, you know, that emergent care frontline frontline professional. But also on the back end, we do a lot of the preventative things, strength and conditioning to some extent and yeah. a lot of the rehab. But also everything else too that deal, deals with the overall healthcare of an athlete or a person. And I think with that skill set, um, you know, the the general view might be, oh, it's just the person on the sideline with the sports team. Yeah. But that's like with anything. You don't see all of the behind the scenes and all of the other things that they're responsible for. So with athletic trainers, I think we're very adaptable. We're very versatile. And we can extend and help out in a lot of other different situations or environments that provide a lot of value to the profession. Yeah. And I think early on when everything was you know the stay stay at home orders and everything i think there are a lot of across the nation athletic trainers assisting in healthcare facilities and mm-hmm. hospitals doctors offices and all of that and i mean those are things that that's what we are capable of doing you know yeah so for the general public i mean if you know any athletic trainers then i mean just go check in on how they're doing but also yeah. it's a good time to learn about what kind of services we can all provide and for athletic trainers i agree with what you said for me especially i i kind of joke with everybody i am way more stressed and hectic during these times right and it's it's kind of in a good way it's to some extent but yeah it's trying to stay relevant with how are we going to improve everything 
when everything starts up and gets back to so-called normal, yeah, right? Yeah. We don't want to be the person like going back into training camp and you're one month deconditioned. Yeah. Same thing for the professional. We don't want to be jumping back into the new normal yeah. and we're like just picking up right where we left off. We right. want to be way ahead of the game at that point. So that's some of the good things about I mean, the silver lining about these times is like trying to make the most of it yeah. and trying to improve not only yourself professionally, but the whole profession and everyone else that we're helping and servicing. Yeah. Yeah. That's big, man. I think yeah. as an athletic trainer, a lot of people think that, um, you know, like it's always been said, oh, you, oh, you're the guys that uh, tape ankles, you know, or yeah. you're the you're the personal trainer. No, we're not personal trainers, yes. you know, but we have some of those skills that they also have. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last 10 years that I've been working for the army, I've been, I've been a huge advocate of, um, we are an allied health profession that is, that brings a lot to the table. Mm -hmm. And the only time you'll probably know and hear about us is if we were there responding to an injury, right? Which, which that's part of what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also making a presence known within an organization. So I've taken a lot of teaching and a lot of faculty, Mm -hmm. uh, development, and it's un- it's educating physicians and pharmacists and behavior health specialists on yes. what we do yes. because they may not know that we even exist yes. in in the footprint of a clinic, uh-huh. you know. Um, and so I think that's big. I think it for especially for our young athletic trainers coming through the the career pipeline, it's get out and know what you're capable of because you'd be amazed at the areas that we work in. Yes, you know, like industry. And nobody yeah. thought you'd be working at UPS or Coke <laughs> yeah. or United. Yeah. You know, it's. There's a lot for us to have. I think it's just sharing that knowledge and making sure that yes. it's it's out there. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. There's some cool places we work at, man. There is. <laughs> and speaking for both of us, we're in both non-traditional yeah. settings. Yeah. I was in your boat where I thought I would never be in a clinic. And yeah. look, this is almost, almost seven <laughs> See, years later. See, I never said I'd be in a PT clinic. <laughs> yeah. Look where I'm at. I'm housed in a PT yes, clinic. But exactly. Fortunately, yeah, we can get out and do things. And yes. our environment is more conducive to, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't say necessarily the fun things all the time, but um, there's a lot more excitement you know, than yes. a traditional setting. And in my opinion, not yeah. to not to bash on traditional settings, but um, I like venturing out and being creative, man. Yeah. It's it's that's what brings life to the job. Yeah. You know, that's what allows us to share this this knowledge that we have yes. and have these discussions so that everybody else can pick up on what's happening. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that we'll do a follow up or have you back in the future because there's so many things that we could talk about, so many different oh, topics. Oh man, yeah. But the last thing before we close up, wrap up here is is there any things that you want to share words of wisdom to anyone during COVID times or any of the athletes or colleagues anything any last bits of information that you want to share with everybody yeah just, uh, I think this is a time where we can look in the mirror and, and really look at ourselves and say one how do we get better mm-hmm. um, that's that's always something that I think we can look at but I think more so in these times mm-hmm. um, and two I think don't lose don't lose hope you know this is this is a very easy time to get down um, I would say find find what brings you joy day in and day out and I always tell my soldiers this when you wake up in the morning find your good three things that you are thankful for right because mm-hmm. it changes your mindset mm-hmm. it's like it's like when when um, when somebody tells you to do something that brings you joy yeah. but also find gratitude and and, mm-hmm. and what do you find that gives you that that feeling of hope Mm-hmm. Right? Is it fresh air? Is that you have a roof over your head? Is it you have a bed to sleep on? Is it food on your table? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's that's easy to get lost right now. Yeah. Um, and I think enjoy the time that you have to be able to invest in yourself. Yeah. You know, one of our leaders that just 
she just uh, moved over to um, at Walter Reed and relinquished the duties there. She came in and she said, what are you going to do to invest in yourself? Mm -hmm. This is a perfect time for all of us to do something to invest in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because if we had more time, we would probably do it, right? Um, But unfortunately, fortunately, I guess, this is the time to, I think, really think, how do we invest back into ourselves? You know, not only add value to organization, but add value to ourselves. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a great message. And I hope everyone takes some action. You know, think about these things and it'll help. It'll help, of course, us get through this time, but help all of those around you that might need need some assistance and, you know, just need a shoulder to lean on sometimes during these tough times but sure overall i mean thanks so much for joining us it's always great conversations yeah there's so many things that we could talk about (laughs) the conversations could be over we could co-host a podcast i think but (laughs) but thanks so much for taking some time thanks Um, for having me man yeah i I hope everything goes well at schofield and keep doing all the awesome things that you're doing but thanks so much again for joining me yeah likewise thanks